Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's Merry Mutants week after week through their many vaunted titles. But this week, we got a special treat for you. Now, I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today, we're going to be branching outside of just the pages of Marvel's funny books and we're going to be taking a look at some of their most exciting new prose material in the form of a one-on-one interview between Team Captain Nathan and the incredible... Incredible Carrie Harris. Now, if you don't know who Carrie Harris is, I kind of promise you, you're going too soon. Carrie Harris is the writer of the recent X-Men novel, Liberty and Justice for All, which sees Triage and Tempest trying a solo mission, whether it's the appearances of other amazing characters like Sabretooth or the inclusion of the brilliant parts of the depth of the X-Men's history. This book is incredible and Genuinely, I'm so excited that we were able to get her on because this was such a pleasure, not just for me to edit, but as a fan of this book, to get to appreciate so much. And I couldn't be more excited. Guys, please enjoy this interview. And to celebrate, we will be giving away a copy of this incredible novel. So listen, like, subscribe, retweet, and do what you got to do because this is one you don't want to miss. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a really special recording of X's for Podcasts. I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Carrie Harris to our show. We're talking about her Ekman prose book, Liberty and Justice for All. So just to let you guys all know, to celebrate having Carrie on the show, we are doing a giveaway through our Twitter account at X's for Podcasts. So we're going to be giving away a copy of the book and maybe some extra special goodies, too. So make sure you follow that account account and look out for the tweet when we release this episode um so welcome to the show oh my god it's so glad to have you on like ah i'm so excited to talk about this book and i think we have a certain love of a certain mutant that we can kind of talk about too as well (laughs) right when it comes to x-men i am a huge longtime x-men fan more than anything i'm just thrilled at any time i get a chance to talk to other people who love it as much as i do and it was kind of a dream come true to get to to write in that world but i've been writing since uh, the early 2000s my first book came out in 2011 and i'm just lucky as hell <laughs> i'm starting to like get serious about a few of my ideas and i'm like i like that's just the dream to like actually get it out there and have people read it right you know and like just like respond positively to it like like I've seen so many great reactions to this book you know and when you're writing something you love it's kind of this oh god I hope people love the same things that I do about it you know no and and I could tell in in reading through it I could tell that you have a strong affinity for X-Men the voices you use for a lot of these characters is is amazing so and I think we have shared the same love so who would be your favorite 
X-Men character? Well, I have a lot of favorite, but I'm pretty sure the one that you're talking about is Dazzler. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we bonded over our shared love of Dazzler on Twitter. That's pretty much how we got to know each other, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's like, I love it. Like, I, I love always running into other Dazzler fans out there in the wild. You're like, oh. <gasps> oh my god you know and it's like yeah. it's not like the only character i love right i, I know like people think it is but <laughs> <laughs> there's something about all of these characters that really draws us all in with dazzler i always loved like the struggle like her her choices between does she want to follow her father's footsteps and become uh, a judge or a lawyer does she want to follow her dream to become a pop star or an actress or whatever she's wanting to do at the time and be an entertainer or does she follow her responsibilities with her mutant abilities and how does she balance all of that is there anything in particular that drew you to the character of dazzler herself well you know i liked the fact that her power is at least on the surface kind of just fun like you could make sparkles <laughs> you know <laughs> right oh yeah you can, you can write words in the air with lasers <laughs> but but you know when when you really get into it the creativity required to do things with that ability has always appealed to me like you're not just running really fast and and don't get me wrong i love a good speedster and a good fight scene and stuff like that but um dazzler brings something different and i am there for it like i could never decide if i wanted to be dazzler or gem yes there's so many right? parallels right <laughs> Like, you know, if you gave if you gave Jerrica some mutant abilities, basically right there. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean they're they're related to each other at the very least, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Both lead those double lives, you know, and they're they're both trying to balance it all. So oh, it's yeah. Like, uh, yeah, the songs too. <laughs> Jim had some great songs and some okay songs. But... Yes. <laughs> that is very fair. Well, and the other thing is that I'm a huge roller derby fan. <gasps> oh, so... Uh, Derby Dazzler with the with the skate. I, I am here for it. Anytime you put her on skate, uh, yes, just yes. So, ooh, did you? So you probably then read. I'm guessing you probably read way back in the old Dazzler series where she has the with the grapplers. I believe it is the whole roller derby thing. Uh huh. And yeah. then and I loved the when they brought her back for A Force. How they had her like before she was on the team. She was working in the roller derby too. So. Yep. Yep. I would love to get a chance to explore more of that because derby is such a cool environment and i think dazzler could really uh, oh god this is really bad but i'm going to say it dazzler could really shine in that environment I, that. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that oh my god that's it's awful i'm sorry <laughs> no it may be awful but it's perfect okay <laughs> well, fair very fair but but yeah no she really could shine in that environment um and they've even like jokingly like hinted at it a little they had a story where dazzler teams up with uh colleen and wing in misty night too and they they do the whole roller derby thing as well so yeah i'm like oh you know that would be that would be really cool to see her like make her way in the roller derby world because having known people who have done it it's 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 tough physically yeah there's there's a lot of physicality to it but it's almost in a way like the x-men themselves where they, they they find they do it and they stay in it because they find 
find this found family of people who really like become what they've needed, what they've been missing from their own family. Right, right. Well, and I also think like it's a it's a really fun opportunity for her to show skills that she doesn't necessarily get show. You see her on stage a lot, right? Oh you know, yeah. She's singing and she's performing and or or speaking, and it gives her a chance to do some different things because she's a badass. She, she is. She's absolutely. just not overtly a badass, you know. Right. She's not one of the. She's not one of the heroes who needs to come out and be like, oh, I'm Phoenix, you know, with my Phoenix Force power. She's She's like, yes. she's like, okay, cool. You know, I'm going to be over here singing, but like, you know, the Sentinel show up and she's like, uh, bam, I'm going to knock you guys out. So. Right, right. Yeah. She shows up and everything is not on fire, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be scared of her. Oh, no, absolutely. And yeah. I, I, would, I would definitely agree. She's a very underrated power set character where like people like there's like there's cool things you could do too with like her sound absorbing abilities and, um, you know, just you make her a good stealth hero, make her a spy, you know make her oh, get yeah. information from hearing that kind of stuff so there's a lot of different ways she could work that they don't really explore as much yeah yeah uh, someday though it will happen i see it's gotta happen someday, someday it's gotta happen you know marvel if you're listening carrie here we gotta get her we gotta get her dazzler solo book come on guys like i, I think if anybody's good could do it she could so <laughs> i would show up in cosplay on their front desk oh, if they would, would let me do that i've really i i'm serious <laughs> Oh no! I know you mentioned, and I won't ask you what it is because you never want to mention what it is. But I know you—I know you mentioned that you did a pitch for Dazzler, so I, I would love to see them take you up on that. <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, do... really, anything that I get is a win. I'll take anything. Oh yeah. I'm not proud. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't it's isn't isn't that the you know isn't that the the, the mantra of, of a lot of the us writers like you know we'll do we'll do whatever you need <laughs> to get to us to get to us to where we want to be right you know right well and i think the other advantage is that with marvel any of the characters you touch are fabulous oh god absolutely you know i mean you can't lose so what got you into the x-men is a genre so like with with comics like are you mainly like you really love the x-men the most is it like you love marvel overall like is there something particular that got you into one type of the books over the other well, you know, I lived in a small town growing up and we did not have a comic store. So the only comics I read when I was young, young, was like Garfield. Um, and then the um, the cartoon came on, the X-Men cartoon. And I fell in love. And a big part of the reason I fell in love was because of Kitty Pride, Because she was just a normal suburban white girl like me. And I was like, if she can be a superhero, I could be a superhero. And in fact, um, I had forgotten about this until I started talking about this book. I used to write Kitty Pride fan fiction in which Kitty and Carrie were best friends. <laughs> it was oh. wish fulfillment. Uh, we hung out together and got into all kinds of trouble and it was awesome. Um, so I started to read comics, um, but my bookstore only had one Finny Rack mm. and you could tell that the people who stocked it weren't comic fans. They were just kind of stocked at random. It was like they, they threw dart at the listing 
things of what was available and whatever the dart hit on was what you got. So you never got anything sequential. Um, but I started reading X-Men comic back then. And um, X-Men's always been my first real superhero love. Uh, you know, I like I watched Justice League and stuff like that when I was younger, but X-Men was where I was hooked. Actually, when it came time to writing the book, I had gotten um, I had gotten onto the Aconite writers list because I wrote for um, games. So tie-in novels for games, and they were looking for people who could do that. And then shortly after I signed up for them, like like literally the same week, they announced this partnership with Marvel. And, you know, I begged, I shamelessly begged. The minute I saw that X-Men was on the list of things you could pitch for, I put together like four pitches just for X-Men because that was what I had always wanted to do. No, that makes sense. And I'm so glad you got the opportunity to do it because just in reading in reading through it, um, like you get the voices of these characters. Like you, you like I can I'm reading it and I'm like, this is somebody who loves X-Men. Like and like it doesn't miss a beat. Like I'm like, okay, that is Jean Grey right there. That is yeah. Ileana. I'm like, these people are who they're supposed to be, which which is amazing because you're you're adding to the mythos and there's a lot of stuff that you know you've got to suppose you've got to you know come up with on your own but you're doing it with their whole character in mind so like this is it's amazing so i do have to ask though yes so in your dedication so you mentioned the spice girls <laughs> yes i love the spice girls so this is like a positive judgment not a negative. <laughs> like, no you're fine um so to, it really stands out to me because like i've had this really like lifelong love with the spice girls so do you, you happen to have a favorite member of the group or do you just kind of like like them all well so i like them all but actually i dedicated the book to uh my best and oldest friend and she and i would go to see superhero movies together all the time she's a huge marvel fan girl too so that was part of the reason why i picked her but um we used to go out dancing dressed as the spice girl <gasps> and she was baby and i was posh awesome. and yes and so we would go out dancing and pretend we were spice girls i i don't even know but it was fun so okay. and, and then one year we got spice girl barbies for christmas and we took them on a cruise and we threw them in the pool and we took pictures of them sunbathing and um <laughs> we took no pictures of ourselves just <laughs> just the spice girls and then pasha's hair got all messed up from the pool water and she looked like she'd been styled by a blender so <laughs> i don't advise doing that um but yeah uh, i'm a huge spice girl. i love that. do you okay, have a so favorite i so it, it's changed a lot of uh, like i would say for me right now just because of the music she's still putting out uh probably would be melanie c yeah but like i i have a strong affinity to posh because like she's just perfect she's flawless she's iconic even her solo stuff was amazing too and she's kind of like to me I, I don't know i tend to like go for the underdogs but like she didn't yep. get as much of the lines she didn't get as much of the uh the good parts um and she got maybe slagged on more than the others so to me that kind that drew me towards her as well so you know i'm a huge underdog person too and i'd never put that together until you said that right it, it's just yeah. kind of like i was kind of like wait why so like you know thinking you randomly thinking about things as you do i'm like why do i love posh so much uh, you know obviously she's iconic but like
like it, it's it's just crazy about the underdog. I'm like, wow, that is really that's really what draws her to, and, yeah. and probably even Dazzler, and even like the X Men in general. Like they're just they're seen as the underdog to the Marvel community. Although obviously sales wise, X Men was huge, so they weren't really the underdog. But yeah. it's just it draws all from that. So yeah, yeah, everything's kind of stacked against them. It is. How closely did you have to work with the X office for the narrative of your whole story? Um, well, you know, the, the process was actually really, really easy. You know, going into that, you're, you're kind of neurotic and thinking, you know, exactly how are they going to do this? If I mess up, will the Marvel ninjas come out of ceiling? Um, you know, exactly <laughs> what's going to happen, right? <laughs> right. And um, what they did was um, I worked out the outline with my editor. And I say outline, which sounds fairly minimal, but it was a good 10 pages long. Oh, okay, that's just... Yeah. Right. And and it had everything that would happen. And so then my editor would submit to the various people at Marvel who were um, subject matter experts on the characters that I used on the time part of the timeline and everything so that it came back to me with notes from, you know, 10 different people all saying, have you considered this? Uh, actually, this is correct in canon. Um, you know, maybe this would be a good idea, et cetera, et cetera. And we went back and forth uh, three or four times. And I was pretty happy because, of course, when you do stuff like that, you're thinking, please don't let me get it all wrong. You know, I'm going to look right. like an idiot. Um, but I actually have I'm sitting in my room and I have a box, a long box of comics. Yes just off to the side and it got all of those issues um you know that i used as reference um oh. and and i i read those comics over and over and over again and picked exactly where this would fit so that i would know you know this has happened but this has and and then there was never any question of whether or not i was getting it right um, oh gosh yeah 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 so we went back and forth with the outline and then when it came to read uh, to writing the book um we'd done a lot of the heavy lifting the edits on the finished manuscript were actually pretty easy because we'd already gone through a lot of the things that that you can't do or that um, you know directions that they wanted to take. I already knew. No, that makes that makes sense, and that's that's kind of good to. It's it's always good to see that behind the scenes process, right? Because yeah, we're kind of like you know you're always wondering. You're like, okay, cool. So like, do they still with the the licensed books? Like, do they still have? Do they still want it to fall in line with this continuity? And, and it's really cool to see you know how involved they were and kind of like you were able to get this good upfront knowledge to work from from what they were kind of going to let you do and what they weren't going to let you do right i do have this great mental mental image though of like all of these marvel folks sitting in the marvel library because you know you've got to have all of the reference material, right? And I, I know they don't do this, but I have this picture of a room with just a wall full of comic, like in those those slider ladders. Oh, I love that. And I wish it existed because I'd like to go there. <laughs> yeah, me too now. Like, like now, spend the like, night, now. just one night with a sleeping bag <laughs> and, and camp out there. You're like, wait, do they have any unpublished issues out there that I can look for? <laughs> 
or just like, the drawings you know i love to see those because yeah. i can't art to save my life oh, I, me neither, yeah. so you know just watching the sketch from sketch to finished product is super fascinating hey everybody nico here and i actually want to share something fascinating about something carrie just said now she said that to her knowledge marvel doesn't have one of those and i believe that's correct however until dc moved its offices from midtown manhattan all the way over to la for many years they had an incredible vault now i was lucky enough to tour that vault thanks to to the brilliant ex-editor toward the end of Chris Claremont's tenure, Suzanne Gaffney, who would later go on to work at DC, and it was incredible. They really do have, like, all of these props and all of these books, and it really is that kind of library, and it's one of the greatest memories I'll ever get to cherish. So, if you guys are curious at all, yeah, you know, while Marvel maybe doesn't have it quite in the condition they'd like it, companies are starting to work on that sort of preservation of content for future ages, and it's really incredible. Like, they have, like, like the first appearance of Superman in a glass case, and it's just gorgeous so absolutely everybody should if you ever get a chance tour one of those offices it's breathtaking i've done one graphic novel and so coming to this after being a comic fan for so long because i'm old and busted you know having some experience writing uh, writing comic uh it was really interesting to come to this book and say okay what can i do with a prose novel that you can't do as well in a comic or what can i bring to the table that that's new but still and oh absolutely so i think that was one of my favorite parts of the process i think in just thinking about that like the thing i really enjoyed about reading this versus like if this was an issue of a, of a book might have been like a six issue arc right yeah. but like i just don't think you would have gotten as much of the behind the the thoughts the, the behind the scene thoughts of the characters like like i really came into this like i knew enough about triage and tempest i liked them as characters but i'm coming out of this feeling that i know and understand the characters a lot more than i did before with that kind of like is is there something that about those two characters specifically i can't talk today either <laughs> um that you want the readers to come away with um, you know, this kind of goes back to the whole underdog thing. I wanted to pick characters that didn't necessarily get their time to shine. And that was part of the, the direction from Marvel, too, was that, you know, they wanted to give some page time to characters who hadn't got a lot of it or, you know, who hadn't had a chance to star in a story, even though they're in the background fairly frequently. And I started this before Tempest became such a big part of um, the current timeline, yes. which I'm just going to say that just in case people are catching up um, but she's a big part of it so it was really neat to see that but this is at a time when she's brand spanking new um, you know she hasn't developed a lot of her powers and I would argue that both Tempest and Triage are the kind of characters that you underestimate because they don't have the flashy powers they are not lighting things on fire or shooting cannonballs or you know they're not overtly destructive or dangerous and I thought that a novel was a good place to show how those skills can be useful and have different applications than you might be able to show in a comic because you can show the internal monologue. You can show um, things like uh, there's a, a scene where there's kind of a Rube Goldberg machine, you know, or or the mousetrap game where one thing happens and then that causes another thing and another thing. And, yes. and Tempest does that, which I'm sure a talented writer, artist, comic team could make that 
happen in a comic, but it take up a lot of space. It would. Um, and so this was a really good format to do that in. Uh, and and I think I'd like readers to come out with an appreciation for the characters who kind of fall into the background and, and know that there's all kinds of things that they're doing or could do, um, because now I'm talking about them like they're real people. Um, <laughs> well, that's what we do, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> there's there's things that they, that they do that are still really cool, even if they don't have adamantium claws. It's, it's cool knowing that this came out before Tempest took her more enhanced role in the uh, <laughs> X-Men mythos. But even now, like, you know what her role is, but you don't get a lot of, like, in her head time. So yeah. it, was, it was really, it was really cool and fascinating to, to get to know her, like, to get to know that she's homesick for, for in Missing Australia. Like, to get to know with triage, like, a lot of, you know, the upbringing he had, the way his mother raised him. It's, it's just, like, I'm like, okay, cool. This all, and it all fits in so well with the established continuity that, like, just to me, I'm like, wow, okay, now I really they want a tempest in a triage series to come out like right. let them go around and like solve all these these mysteries i love the location that you chose to set most of the story in chicago so yes like just reading it like i can i can tell you have that affinity with the city in the area was it important to you to use a city that you knew so well or like was it just like you just wanted to squeeze that into the story i mean i think it was a little bit of both actually early drafts of the story took place at the mansion oh. and so then they were going to boston instead because geographically it's closer yeah then we decided to shift around the timeline and exactly who was going to be in the book and so it got moved to the weapon x facility and then you can't get to boston right yeah i mean that's way too freaking far <laughs> that's a little far <laughs> yeah so i was trying to think of what locations that i had that i could you know th that i could i could really use and that had a big central location that would be good for some set pieces, you know? Because um, if they go to a restaurant in the middle of nowhere, what happens there? You want someplace big and cool with lots of stuff in it, right? Oh, yeah. And one of my favorite places in Chicago is the Field Museum. Yep. That was the place to go. And, you know, I was telling you earlier, but I haven't told everybody else. Um, I was born in Evanston and we didn't live there for very long, but we went back a lot. Um, so it's always been... Uh, my favorite big city and it's handy to write somewhere that you've been you know because you can make it feel real oh absolutely no I, I came like I, I live in Chicago land area I lived in the city for a while like I was telling you um and everything that you put in here I'm like yeah this is very like you can tell when somebody is writing about something that they don't know about as much but I'm like I'm like she really gets the feel of Chicago so yeah well you know and I made some changes and I have to admit it was actually harder to change because it was a place that I know. So like a, a few changes to the layout of the museum and what's nearby and whatnot. And every time I did, it was like nails on a chalkboard. Like, this is not right. Yeah. <sighs> I know. Yeah, that, that's always hard. But yeah, if, yeah, sometimes you have to make those decisions for the sake of the story to make things a little bit different than they, they really are kind of yeah. thing. To not make Such it. sacrifices, I tell I you. I know. But I get what you're saying. It's really hard because you're like, oh, I know that's not right. Yeah. But even even like even even those little changes, you know, I was like, okay, I, I get I get why she's doing it. And she overall gets she, she gets yeah. it overall. So like so for me it wasn't like wasn't like the nails on the chalkboard as much as it had to have been for you because I know you're like, wait, that's not exactly what I 
was trying to do, but I've got to do it this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, it's the Marvel version thereof. So right. it's not even called the Field Museum because that's an actual thing. And and so they want you to change the name and, and make it the Marvel version. So. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I was when I was first reading it. I was like, oh, the Grace Museum. I was like, did I not go to that? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, but but no, I get it. You've gotta you've gotta change the names to to make them more of a homage than the actual thing. Yes, yes, especially if you're gonna blow something up. Yeah, I probably would have been more upset if the field museum got blown up, but yeah, the, yeah. but it was still pretty sad knowing that the analog got blown. Up. Well, they'll uh, they'll fix it. They'll repair. Yeah, they will. Eva, I loved that she had such idolization for the young. Jean Grey and I love the little bit of interaction we got to see with them her really trying to make a really strong impression her desire to send him back and the fact that she had a poster of Jean Grey on her wall as a kid <laughs> yeah <I love> that. <laughs> um so and I know like I was telling you like you're you're Ileana like most people don't approach her from the angle that you know she, she's Russian like she grew up as a Russian so like yeah so like most people don't put that in there but when you put that in there I was like oh this is exactly how she would talk yeah um, and then uh, your emma like oh <laughs> love that like my, my eyes my eyes mean she's so like it just it's all it all fit but if you had to if you got the chance the opportunity to hang out with one of those three ladies would it be an easy choice for you or would it be a hard choice oh man that would be awful <laughs> and spectacular at the same time right. <laughs> I don't, uh, it would be a tough choice i think I would probably go with Ilyana. Okay. Um, I am a longtime Ilyana and Colossus fan. And that dynamic, I would love, like every time it shows up, I'm there. Um, and, and, you know, add it to my long, long <laughs> list of things I'd really love to write would be um, Colossus and Ilyana because his sibling relationships are, are fascinating to me. I grew up as an only child. And then when I was an adult, I learned that I have an older brother. Oh, wow. And and he's fabulous. You know, when you meet somebody like that, you're like, oh, God, are they going to hate me? Am I going to hate them? Um, but but we're super close. And so um, you can actually see in a lot of my books, I explore sibling relationship because they've always fascinated me. Ilyana in particular is a character who's gone through so much trauma and um, and yet she cares about things despite herself. And also, I personally feel find her hilarious yes. i don't a lot of people don't but kind of like you said i mean you figure she's russian she's grown up in a lot of places that are not uh not even on this plane of existence her frame of reference for what is normal and what is funny have got to be really really weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> I find that, I mean, of course, it's a serious thing, but also I bet you her slips of the tongue and whatnot would, would be really funny and she just wouldn't know. It's definitely a lot of that unintentional humor. And yeah. She's very, she's very by nature stoic and deadpan and, and she does have a good sense of humor when they, when they let it out. But yeah. she's like, she's like the, the one-liner. She's like the, like, if you think of like Worf, how they always gave him like the funny one-liners. It's like, yeah. she's definitely the, uh, the, the funny one liner of the X-Men and you're like, oh, it's a stoic character. She's not gonna be funny. Oh no, she's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and 
I mean, but really, all three of them would be good. Can we just have a party? Right? Yeah. yeah let's change the rules. It's a party. All three of them okay, are there. Good. All right. Good. So, yeah. Because I, I think I wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to choose because I, I like something in each of them. Yeah. That, that you're not going to get from the other ones. So, I get you on that. <laughs> so, it's a party. Yeah. Woo-hoo! So, I uh, did see you on Twitter say that you unexpectedly fell in love with Sabretooth. So, I'm going to tell you the way you wrote him has me falling in love with him too. I didn't. <laughs> expect such like he's got the brusque side obviously right and we've seen the caring side there but you don't often see the bridge between the two of them in the same time and i i just i love it um what drew what was it about him that made you fall in love with him well, Sabretooth has always been one of my favorite. And, you know, I mean, some of the choices you make when you're writing a book like this are are because they're great for the plot. But I'm going to come right out and say it. Putting him in there was self-serving because I love him and I really, really wanted to write him and I had an opportunity. So I took it. Um, I'm glad you did. <laughs> right? Um, but I just love him. And I love those characters that kind of walk the line between good and evil. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's a bad guy and he flat yeah. out says, in my book and in other books, I don't I don't want to be redeemed. I'm not interested in everybody getting together and singing kumbaya, and it's not going to happen. Um, but he is capable, and he's shown himself as capable of making the right decisions when it serves his own purposes. And so, um, you know, I really wanted to play with somebody who could kind of do that. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he a little bit of both? I don't know. Um, and also, so, you know, he I, I'm really fascinated by the idea that some of these villain characters have a real life. Yeah. Like they're not always bending metal and and stabbing things with their claws and stuff like that. So somebody like Magneto, who at this point in the timeline is arguably redeemed ish. Redeemed ish. Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he still does normal things, but he's walking around with all of that uh history. So behind him and i love that and i love that about saber like he has to eat and use the bathroom yeah. and he probably watches tv sometime and that's the stuff you don't have the room for in a comic he eats hot dogs like it's part. one oh, of I my favorite scenes in the book <laughs> where they all eat but she, i mean can you imagine walking through a park and seeing there's a picnic bench <laughs> and saber hunched over this tiny little table throwing hot dogs into his mouth and when he scares the baby yeah <laughs> no that's I, I and i love how you use that throughout the book food right i mean it's something yes. that we all need um and it's sort of a, like a kind of almost like a sub theme that you've got through there you know I, I just love how you use it to humanize the the characters like their dislike of having the sandwiches every day at the weapon yeah. x complex <laughs> yes you've got to imagine the food is awful have you seen pictures <laughs> of that place <laughs> it was like that that is, I never thought about it until I was reading that. And I was like, oh, you that's got to be right. There's no, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's no stores in here. No. <laughs> um, it's a military complex. So there's probably not, not a great kitchen. <laughs> Well, and they weren't prepared for students either. So you've right. got to imagine everything is just kind of thrown together at the last minute and stuff smells bad. And like, <laughs> it, it's not a pleasant place to be. No. When you're describing like triage with his roommate and, uh, like, <laughs> and like Tempest when she like drops her, was her toothbrush, right? She drops her yeah. toothbrush under the, the vanity and yeah. Jean has to get it out for her. Like just those little moments right there. It, it was... <sighs> 
to me it evoked a lot of the stuff that i loved about like e- like even like the claremontine era right you know this is those nice little touches that gives you the humanizing part of these larger than life superheroes because i mean let's be honest right we they're, they're superheroes they've got these abilities that we can't imagine having right but they, they're still i love how you're able to show that they're still people and in, inside yeah yeah i mean that's i think the thing that i love the most about x-men is that yes you have all of these huge huge powers and and earth altering abilities and and really hot costumes you know? <laughs> they are really hot aren't they yeah they are um <laughs> you know you've got all this stuff but but underneath it they really do feel like real people um so i'm glad that came through in the book too because I was very pleasantly surprised because not everybody takes that approach and I and I love it when people do. So yeah. So definitely like seal of approval. <laughs> One of the most fascinating aspects of the book was the mystery with the box, obviously. But I loved the getting to see Sabretooth interact with Graydon Creed. Like yes. was that like something that you were just like really aching to do? Because like I there's so much love you pour into that that I'm like, you must have had that idea. You know, it's one of those things where you have multiple ideas kind of rattling around in your head mm-hmm. and you find a way to put them together that doesn't seem like it should fit, but it does. And one of the questions that I always had as a reader, Sabretooth is a, very obviously a bad guy. Graydon not a great guy either um and then at some point in the story after this book in the timeline after this book Sabretooth makes a huge sacrifice for great and and we'll just leave it there it's a great story arc uh look it up if you haven't read it highly highly recommended but um i was curious to see what got them there and there are a few scenes where you see graden um and Sabretooth interacting um but you don't really get to see the moment where they i don't think you get to see the moment where they truly connect uh you can say that there are some moments when they do absolutely but i wanted more right um and so i also liked the idea of of using this to shake Sabretooth out of his more self-centered worldview into now i have to do something for somebody else and really he does that when he kind of adopts some somebody as his yeah and um you know kind of despite himself he does that with triage and tempest and i wanted to see how they would all react to that he does and i was like i was just like that's so like i love that i love that he did that i was like because you know it's something that we're used to like wolverine doing a little but like to see Sabretooth get to do that yeah like tugged at my heartstrings i'm so glad you did that well you know and and i'm glad you brought that up because i think you know we usually talk about wolverine and Sabretooth being two two sides of the same coin right i mean Mm -hmm. they're so similar and we've seen a lot of wolverine kind of crossing over into the dark side and making some decisions that maybe were not necessarily Mm -hmm. great we don't really see Sabretooth kind of make the same leap in the opposite direction and no yeah you're right i wanted to he does do that right yeah no anytime anytime they've shown him do that it, he's kind of like it wasn't as much on his own accord like when yes. they did that whole inversion thing they, they pushed him there yeah <laughs> but it was it was nice to see him actually like like you said as a fully realized person because you're right like what do these people do when they're not being mercenary right like, right like obviously they've got to do something <laughs> they're not going to be right. a mercenary the whole time right well and it doesn't change who he is he's going to go no. back Back to killing tomorrow. Oh, God, yeah. 
<laughs> in fact, in the in the comics, he does. Yeah. <laughs> based on where this fits, um, you know, but uh, that doesn't mean that you can can't occasionally make the right choice, even if it's not for the right reason. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I love it. I I, I do appreciate a multifaceted villain instead yeah. of just like the villain who's out there going, ha, 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 I'm going to pet my black cat, kill everybody. <laughs> Right, and dry wash my hands, too. Right? Yeah. Uh, So, I have to say, I absolutely love your style. I love the sense of humor that you have in it. I love the action. I love the moments of some nice gore or, like, body horror kind of stuff. Mm. Um, What would you, and like I said, like we mentioned before, I love the use of food to create the sense of humanity in these characters. Yeah. So, if somebody is really connected with this book what book of yours would you suggest that somebody pick up next for myself too that's a good one well i think it partially depends on what it is that you liked about this book if you like the humor and the horror aspect my book bad taste in boys is about a high school science nerd who discovers her football team is being turned into zombies (gasps) and it's comic horror it do not expect anything to make sense um or be reasonable um you know it's zombies they give one of the zombies gives her the middle finger because it (sighs) fell off Oh, hold on. That's amazing. (laughs) So that's the type of humor that's in that one. If you like the action and and the weird, I have a book called Illegal Alien, which is um, about a police detective who discovers the hit and run driver she's trying to chase might not be human. And so that one's a little more action-y, mystery, kind of going through the process like they do in this book of figuring out what's going on. So I think those would be the two that I would I would recommend awesome i love that because i'm definitely gonna look up some more so <laughs> i'm like I, it just, it's, you know, I love the combination of everything you did so um and, and you poured so much love to this book like you, you can tell just by just by reading like every single line there's like not you know some books there's some things you're like okay i'll skip ahead on this but there yeah. was nothing there was nothing in this that to me made me want to skip ahead or that i didn't want to know about these characters so well that's so great i kind of figured even if it wasn't um, you know your style because of course so many people have approached X-Men in different ways and brought different things to the table so even if it's not your preferred style if you come away at least knowing how much I love it then I, I've done my job oh no absolutely there's like yeah. I said there's no doubt that you're a lifelong X-Men fan <laughs> so. oh good Hey everybody, Nico here again, and it seems sort of like the X-Men are constantly embroiled in one crossover or another, and I find myself sort of questioning why we covered Return of the Valkyries number one, but hey, it all made sense because in this issue, Return of the Valkyries number two by Jason Aaron, Torin Grunbeck, and artist Nina Vakuva, Danny Moonstar finally comes front and center in this storyline the way we would have loved, and it was such a blast getting to talk about this with Jonah and Nathan two fellow Danny stands who think it's about time that she's getting the due she deserves. Whether it's in the pages of New Mutants, Marvel Indigenous Voices, or the somewhat missed by many people New Mutants film, it's been a pretty good time to be a Danny Moonstar fan. And whether you call her Mirage or Psyche, Moonstar or Valkyrie, one thing's sure, this is the age of Moonstar. Check it out. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many
many adventures of Marvel's many as guardians through all of the X crossover titles? I have no <laughs> idea. But I think I'm Nico, and I'm pretty sure you guys can find me at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram over at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Uh, I might be Nathan, and you can find me probably online on Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA, maybe? Uh, I'm going to be very surprised to find out who you actually are, that if you're not Nathan. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah, and we hope you survive this experience. Unlike the unnamed Celestial whose head got chopped off by Null because plot reasons, and now he's his own world inside of the afterlife. Rest in peace. I, I hope he gets a name, and I hope he gets, you know, justice. Justice for the unnamed Celestial. Justice for Headless Celestial, yeah. Now, okay, some of that null celestial head chopping stuff, I need to be real. So we're going to be talking about King in Black, Return of the Valkyries, number two, right? Now, that is by the incredible Jason Aaron, who has long been one of my favorite writers at Marvel. I loved all of his X work more than most people, I think. And I have really enjoyed so much that I have gotten to read of his incredible Thor saga. Now, this issue, he's actually joined by another writer. He's joined by Torun Gron. Beck. The cover is by Matea de Lulis, and the art is by Nina Vakuva. And I personally, okay, so, huh, um, we were a little tough on issue one. We kind of said that we felt that it was an unfocused mess at times. Like, really honest, we try to be really positive because not only do we only want to put positivity out in the world, but if you don't like something, there has to be a good way to say it, right? There has to yeah. be a good way to say, I wish the pacing was tighter or whatever. And we felt that Valkyries number one, if you were already invested, you probably enjoyed it. You might have been a little confused, but if you liked those characters and you like Jason Aaron, you probably enjoyed that issue. I don't think any of that is required for issue two. I think as long as you accept that it's a little bit en res, as long as you accept that you're starting in the middle of the story, uh, this is some baller issue. I think I'd give the first one like a 5.5 out of 10. Sorry, first issue. But this second issue, I give it a solid seven minimum. So I want to know, guys, going into this issue, obviously, Nathan, you were thrilled to know that Danny was going to show up. But if I'm not mistaken, Woo! Jonah, this is one of your first experiences with Danny the Valkyrie more than Danny the Mutant. Danny the Valkyrie Mutant Moonstar uh, as her full, almost legal name. Uh, yes, I did not know until, you know, Nathan mentioned it uh, a while ago that Danny was a Valkyrie and I was like oh cool work so it's kind of like how um and this is a, a very deep cut that I don't know if anybody else is going to fully understand um I read the full original C Percy Jackson series and um there was a daughter of Zeus Thalia who later became one of uh the girls in Artemis's hunt so that's what I kind of think of that's what I kind of like related it to I was like oh work good for her good for her Good for you, Janine. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is, like, oh, like what I was waiting for. Like, yeah, okay, I know we needed to be introduced to the, like, you know, the original Valkyrie. But, oh, my God, like, it's the way it started out. Like, just the, the whole pacing of everything in it. I'm, like, fucking sign me up for this. Like, why wasn't this issue number one? That's exactly where I'm at in my head. So I really, 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 really loved the look into Mirage's power. Like just the way, like the description 
version of how her power works is something that like really helped me realize like the full weight of what she goes through on a daily basis like just the fact that like she can like look somebody and know their like hopes and dreams is something that really I know that was like her power but like they never really described it in the way that I could really get it this like oh get it uh, I completely agree. I was, I'm really interested in Danny's powers and how it evolved throughout the years from first starting off to being able to pull uh, people's subconscious fears out and use that to terrorize them to being able to use uh, her powers in a much more broad psychic range as opposed to just that limited use. Here, it was really interesting seeing her not only try to like, I established a psychic link with Null slash one of the little Venom creatures, symbiotes running around, but her connecting with, you know, the New York City rats. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do you hear them marching? And I was like, yeah, I've been to Stomp. <laughs> and like, uh. I totally get that about Danny. Danny is such an underutilized character. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Danny is the first character to disappear from the books. Like, that is her go-to. Oh, guys, gotta go by. <laughs> like, well, like Danny's the freak- second one. Karma's the first, but, you know. That is true. And, you know, it is really unfortunate that we're saying that in the third major wave of X-Men, that the two most easily forgettable are two of the women of color. So, you know, that's not something I like. But what I do like is the fact that as much as we talk about how perhaps being a Valkyrie is maybe a little insensitive to Native culture... She's not ever foregoing her gods. You know what I mean? She's never like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe in native culture anymore because I've met the Valkyries. No, she, because she is a Valkyrie, knows there is so much more in this world than just one kind of deity. And I feel like Danny is a character that's supposed to be shown in really dynamic, unique ways. And she's always meant to be presented in a new light. Like Danny is a transformative character, whether it's the role she plays in the X-Men or it's how she's using her abilities. Don't forget, there's that period around X-Force 100 by John Francis Moore where she can literally warp the quantum basics of reality. So, like, you know, Danny is someone <laughs> who at any given time transforms dramatically, right? And I think I'd been concerned about how she was going to fit in this story at all. This didn't feel like a she-would-fit-in-it story from that first issue. I had thought about it a little bit, and I kind of wonder if I would have appreciated it a little bit more if we were introduced to the other Valkyrie in, like, a one-shot. And mm. this was, like, a three issue arc about these Valkyries coming together, right? Because I think perhaps the cutaways are what made the first issue a little tough. Now, the cover, in my mind, is kind of deeply misleading. The cover says, Return of the Valkyries to save the soul of Sentry. And it's kind of like an old school cover thing, to save the soul of Sentry. Like, it's such a dramatic cover. Bam! Like, it's just kind of like a weird banner to throw on there. How do you guys feel about the Sentry's involvement in this issue? Do you guys think that by putting the Sentry front and center on the cover and his name, frankly, almost as big as the word Valkyries, like it's not, but it's pretty significant on this cover. Do you feel that that in some ways is kind of offensive to the idea of it's supposed to be this book about these women, and here we are being told that one of the main characters is a man? It just so happens he looks like a Norseman, but that's not, <laughs> that's not really the point of this. Do you guys think that Sentry, perhaps being so focused on, hurt the efficacy of the book? I I think it does, and I say this with a little bit more of a mythological approach in that the Valkyries were this badass Norse warrior group, all about females and female empowerment, and 
I really don't, I don't want to come off as being like, there can't be a man in this book, but I would appreciate that if the title of this book is about Valkyries and Valkyries are, you know, badass warrior goddesses from Norse mythology, I'd rather it focus on the badass warrior women from Norse mythology. I can see that if the focus is to save Sentry, which is one of like the most powerful heroes at all in the Marvel Universe, I think at least that the fact that they're the only ones who can save him, like at least give them a little bit of their agency back. Yeah, I don't like the focus being on him, but I like I like the fact that they are the only ones who can accomplish this. Um, so that at least gives them the power back. I really like that approach. So maybe perhaps by putting Sentry in the lead role, it's putting more emphasis on him conceptually, but it's still their story. I like that. You know, it's why I'm really, I'm just going to put it all on the line. We're recording this on Sunday, February 7th. So I am like, what is it? I'm like five fucking days from finally getting Mario 3D World with Bowser's Fury. And I don't find myself frustrated that it says Bowser's Fury. I don't feel like that makes it any less Mario, Luigi, and Toad's game. Yes, it's Toad's game too. Yes. (laughs) All games are Toad's game. So uh, what about Princess Toadstool or Peach? I do love Peach. Uh, The only major Mario character that really gets on my fucking nerves is Dave. Daisy? Oh, yeah. And it's just because I hate her wind sound in Mario Party. I'm the winner! I'm the winner! I'm the winner! Shut up! I don't ever want you to win. <sighs> well, that was a little off topic. But speaking of things that constantly come back from the dead, how did you guys feel about getting that encapsulated Null story? So, but do you guys realize that in many ways, Jason Aaron is responsible for Null? I did not. So in the pages of Jason Aaron's Thor, there is a character known as Gore the God Butcher, who is one of my favorite Thor villains ever. Gore the God Butcher has a weapon that was forged by Null. So there were traces of Null before Null existed. Null as a character is only a handful of years old, maybe three or four. And back in 2018, in the pages of Donny Cates' Venom, we saw Null start to kind of come into focus. And all of this backstory that they gave us about Null in this issue, all of it is like canon. This is all already existent story that they re-encapsulated in this small little bit for us. I know personally, I didn't really read a lot of that early Venom as much as I probably could have to be caught up on this event. So as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, I feel like I've heard Rod mention that, or I feel like I saw Dano Cosmic post about that, or maybe Juan drew that. Like, you know, like I get I get pieces of it and like pieces come into my mind, right? But seeing it all laid out, yeah, guys, I'm gonna say something. Uh Nully Sue over here is like the most annoying character in the entire Marvel universe. Like little Nully Boy is like, uh, I can kill Celestials and then live in their heads. Like, what a... Like, uh, seriously. And does he also have a better hammer than Thor? And does he also have one less eye than Odin? And does he also shine brighter than Dazzler? Like, I mean, oh, what is he trying to get at here? So, okay. Was uh, all of that canon easy to swallow or not? I, for me, it was needed. It was needed. I needed to know what was going on. Like, I, I think it really helped refocus my whole idea of the event because i think without that for me i was kind of like what 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 huh oh well yeah who well what huh indeed 
Uh, Nulligan McGillicuddy, as I'm going to affectionately <laughs> refer to him from now on. I have to agree with Nathan. I actually think it was pretty necessary to understand the cosmic threat that Null is. Granted, I don't think that makes him any less annoying, like Nico says, mm. slash... I think I like the concept of King in Black more than I like the actual content, if that makes sense. Like, I like a lot of what it's trying to establish and doing, but I don't care for Null as the villain because it's a level of he's so powerful and so strong that I'm like, okay, this is ge- this is getting to, and I'm going to shoot myself in the foot for saying this, Dragon Ball Z levels of like, all right, what kind of power up are they going to get? What, what What's like, what what's the next power level they're going to get? And then who's the boss after that power level where they have to go to the next one and so on? That really is the, that uh, that's the one upsmanship danger that I feel like Null puts us in. You know, it's always like, how do you outdo that bad guy? Which is why, you know, we all hit a point where we, whether or not you were a fan of Supernatural, you would occasionally hear something in fandom like, oh, they fought God last week. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, and there's going to be another season. What? What? Now who do you fight? God's dad. Oh. <laughs> Oh, right? It's that sense of one-upsmanship that you can best see identified in the pages of, to use another magical title, but from a different publisher. Over at the Distinguished Competition, DC in the 1980s, late 1980s, you know, started to ramp up that Vertigo line. As it was better known back then, it was the British Horror Invasion, but it would become Vertigo over time. Now, in the pages of Sandman at Vertigo, Lucifer Morningstar, the general embodiment of Satan to the mind of Neil Gaiman, first made his move against my precious Morpheus in issue three. And in that issue, there was a bit of discussion about the fact that there had been a triumphant ruling hell for a period of time. Three of the the devil of DC Comics were working together to rule hell. And when Gaiman took over, the first thing he did was threw that away and just made it that Lucifer, Satan, was in charge of hell. And because DC could not have known what Sandman was going to become at that point, they said, sure, go for it. Now, two years later, a gentleman by the name of Garth Ennis is working on Hellblazer, and he wants to basically use Satan. And he's told no. No, Satan belongs to Neil Gaiman. That's Lucifer, who would go on to get Lucifer, the 75-issue ongoing series by Mike Carey, a huge X-Man writer. He would also get a miniseries by the same pen, as well as would go on to have his own TV show, which is nothing like the comic, but, you know, it's at least still the character getting recognition. So Garth Ennis says, how can I possibly come up with something that does what I need then? So he comes up with the first of the fallen. Satan before Satan. The Satan who was so bad that God banished him so far that when he made another Satan, he basically said, don't worry about that first one. He's too evil. And this is how they made that work. They just kept backdating a bad guy more powerful. You're going to wind up with, you've now said this guy invented darkness. Null just always was. And now there's darkness because of it. They even question, how can he be considered a god if nothing worships him but the things he creates, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of just makes him a dad. It just makes him a really pushy dad. So I really, really agree with you. This one-upsmanship is the most dangerous thing you can do because at some point you got to reset it all back down. So then Nathan, Nathan, you've seen Onslaught come and go, Red Onslaught come and go. You've seen Magneto be the most evil person in existence, followed by Strife, followed by Apocalypse, followed by Cyclops merged with Apocalypse, followed by Xavier's twin sister fetus, followed by, you know, any number of, and then Magneto again. (laughs) 
So like, <laughs> you, you see the cycle. Do you feel that null is conceptually a danger to the sort of consistency of the stories? And then Jonah, same question for you as a newer reader. So I, I think you, like you guys are saying, it's, it's very dangerous to keep adding these celestial forces like these these cosmic forces as event villains so you know like right now just going on we have null going on so he's he's the he's the start of all dark right so in in the avengers right now we have that whole battle for the phoenix which you know actually better than i thought it would be but she but the phoenix is the the breeder of all life so we've got all of these huge cosmic ideas that we're, we're dealing with and where does that leave space in the books for somebody like, like daredevil electro where does it leave space for somebody even like the avengers when you know all of their powers combined like they're the earth mightiest heroes but they there's nothing com- to compare to these big cosmic forces that we keep bringing in and i swear to gravy like if i lived on earth 616 like i think i would just like build a bunker somewhere and just like like oh the scrolls are attacking this week all right cool let me just go in my bunker like like you've got to be prepared yeah i would just be like kree kree do you guys have world do you have room in your world can i can i <laughs> you look mostly human so i think i would like to come with you because i i don't know what i would do these these dangers are getting so big and like how do you go bigger than the first darkness ever you know that's why buffy the vampire slayer had to end at season seven the, the final big bad was the first evil all evil sourced from this evil there is no evil more evil than this evil how do you go bigger than the evilest evil and then like didn't we already have in uh, secret empire didn't they already like have a big darkness arc already so like didn't like new york get enclosed in darkness and they had to like overextend dagger so like it's just like okay cool now it's even bigger darkness and, you know, I feel like we've kind of lost the plot of King and Black Valkyries, but for so much of what this, no, no, for so much of what this story is, it's a support story for King and Black that happens to feature the Valkyries. Now, what I did like a lot about this issue was that it was predominantly the story of several warrior women having agency. And that's something that's too frequently missing from these stories. Now, I think the idea of seeing the Valkyries all work together to fight a crossover bad guy is really exciting. And this is a great use for them. I know that we're getting a Valkyries series or miniseries to follow this by this same creative team. So my question becomes, do you guys think this issue sets up Danny as a possible contender for in that miniseries? Vita is doing incredible work over on New Mutants with Rod Reyes as they continue their amazing new arc. But they're using Danny pretty extensively and she's a huge part of the story. So I wonder if I could really see Danny leaving the X-Men, but I don't know. I think this made a pretty good call for it. What do you guys think? I, I think if there's room for Wolverine to be in five titles, there's room for Danny Moonstar to be in, in two. Um, Marvel has been doing, like, it, it's it's good. I love it. Marvel's been doing a, a push on Danny Moonstar, it seems like, in the last year, like, to really, like, get more solo stories out there, like, with the Claremont anniversary special and the Marvel Voices one-shot, uh, and the Marvel Indigenous Voices one-shot, um, you know, giving Danny back her prominent role new mutants and then featuring her in this valkyrie series here um i think to me the moment that made me think that danny has to be involved in this series was the second that Brightwind showed up i was like oh my god danny has to like be fully valkyrie again she really does i completely agree i don't know that there's enough for her in the x-men right now in general like 
I want to see her get that sort of exposure. She's just such a terrific character. Jonah, Danny is one of the characters that I feel like has been shortchanged the most in what you've read, but you did read some early New Mutants, so you have a sense of her history. You've got some of the stuff in between. Do you think that Danny could thrive in a multi-office situation? Absolutely. Uh, I think the most prominent Danny story that I know of is the Demon Bear story. I have read that in preparations for me eventually going to watch the New Mutants movie. (laughs) Someday. Someday. Maybe I'll get to it. We'll see. You know. You know. But I think Danny is a character that's often really well written, but I often... Let me just take that back. I felt like I said often too much. You did say often, kind of often. <laughs> it was very often. Like. <laughs> I find that Danny is a character that is written really well most of the times, but she is often put on the back burner for other people's stories to shine through. Danny, to me, often gets treated like a supporting character instead of the main character I know her to be. And it really speaks volume that I can love a character that is put on the back burner and not because she's put on the back burner, but because she is her own fully realized character who has really interesting character traits and is a character that I think can hold up really well, no matter where you put her. I, uh, uh, this is going to be a hot take. I think Danny can run a solo series just by herself. And I, whether it's a whole solo series or a mini series, a lot of the Danny moments in this issue reminded me of the Wolverine solo series when they were fighting the Brew. And it was a lot of that inner monologue of seeing how Danny reacts to this situation and how her being a hero, a psychic, a Valkyrie, all these different things, a mutant, have affected her perception of what's going on. And I found it so fascinating. And, you know, Put her in more shit. I I agree. Put her in more shit. I mean, I'm a big Danny fan. I'm maybe a little hesitant to say she can handle a solo book, but the reason I'm hesitant to say she can handle a solo book is because, like, in a perfect world, if, you know, Marvel was like, Nico, how many X-Men solo books should there be at any given time? The answer is two, period. (laughs) You just don't need so many fucking solo books. And I think that was actually the biggest problem with 2014 to 2018 in the X office. Everyone had a solo title. Like, absolutely everyone. Young Cyclops, Iceman, Young Gene. All three of them had a solo title at the same time, or roughly the same time. Now, none of them didn't deserve one. But I would literally be like, oh, wow. So, like, six of these characters have solo titles right now? I can't read this anymore. But, you know, it kind of feels to me like, okay, when something happens to Wolverine in the pages of Wolverine, I accept it'll probably affect the pages of X-Men. When something happens to Wolverine in the pages of X-Men, I usually assume it'll affect the pages of Wolverine, right? If something happens to Wolverine while guest starring in an issue of Daredevil, I'm going to assume when I see him again in Wolverine, he's fine. Right. If something happens to Danny Moonstar in an issue of X-Men, I do expect to see it in her next issue of New Mutants. If something happens to Danny in an issue of New Mutants, I would expect to see it appear in X-Men. If something happens to Danny in an issue of Valkyries, I'm not sure I would expect it to translate back into the X office. Okay. I'm actually really and like I'm fine with that. She can be in Valkyries and grow and develop, and when that time comes that to bring those stories back to X-Men, you can. I think 
having her offer her time as a secondary character in a book that she's not likely to change the universe in, but she's capable of contributing, is the kind of thing we need to bring the X-Men back into a bigger limelight. Not that they need one, but <laughs> they do. So I, I could see her running around Valkyries for a while, even if it doesn't translate directly to the pages of X-Men right away. And I was going to go along those thoughts. Like if I was going to say, like, if she was going to do a solo book, I, I would put it not in the X universe. I would put it in uh, the Thor universe with dealing heavily with the implications of Asgard. Like kind of like as bad as the solo series was at the time, like Dazzler's solo series. Yes, she was a mutant, but it wasn't really a X-Men solo series at the time. It would have a lot of connections to the greater MU. That would be something I'd want for Danny Moonstar if she was going to get that sort of a spot. And I feel like she would probably need a female compatriot like I wouldn't want her to have a male companion like that wouldn't be a thing for me I would rather her have a strong female companion that could help her interact with the Marvel Universe or like a Doctor Strange I'd be fine with it if it was a Doctor Strange I just don't want to see it be like oh she teams up with Wolverine and goes around the Marvel Universe I'm like oh because then it's it's the Wolverine title that Danny's allowed to be in oh great she's got to bring her girlfriend along with her so you know I won't say who that is uh, just, just I loved uh, seeing Brunhilde again. That was amazing. I loved how they used her to advance the plot. You know, even though she can't leave Valhalla, like I love bringing her into the story as a whole because obviously she did carry the name in the Marvel universe for of Valkyrie for the longest time. Um, and just like, just like the moment where Danny thought she was gonna die, and she's like, "Oh, Brightwind, I always knew it would be who would come for me at the end." And Jane's like, "You're not at the end yet, Danny Moonstar." I was like, that moment was the moment I was just like sold on. On everything going forward and you know yeah that's like it's so fucking cool that danny moonstar got to interact with jane thor and like it just it felt right you know what i mean like because she's still jane thor i don't care <laughs> she's always gonna be jane thor so yes and like i only say jane thor because she's thor Right. But I don't want anybody to think that I think Odinson showed up in like a cute little Valkyrie outfit and is like, hey guys, <laughs> it's me. I'm I, a Valkyrie I, I now. I brought my Lady Hammer. <laughs> lady Hammer Black I, Mombazo. I want... Is that like the Lady Razors that like intuition commercial? Yeah. <laughs> Jane Thor uh, and Dazzler should just go walk around swinging their hammers. Casual gal pals. Why you not? Know. I mean, every other Thor ever has done it, so right. Thor's love to carouse. They're always yeah. opening beers with hammers. Give Storm back the hammer, too, and, like, have the three of those guys, the three of those ladies just go around be Thors. Yeah. Thor four. The, Thor, the Thor core four. We would just need a fourth Thor four four <laughs> and seven years ago. <laughs> oh, Wait, gosh. are they making you thorny? <laughs> Both of us went dead silent. That's a sign. <laughs> oh my god, this conversation is becoming a thorn in my side. Oh my god, guys, thank you so much for coming out and listening to everything about Valkyries. We really appreciate it. I am actually really fascinated to see how a lot of this is going to tie in with the kind of reboot of the Eternals because a lot of the talk mm. of the Celestials, I just now have to just associate it with the Eternals and now just, you know, brings to my head, well, how is this going to affect them? How is this going to affect their world, what they do, everything they stand for, their gods, you know, all this, you know, fun stuff. How are they reacting to Null right now? I agree. This was a really interesting time to bring back the Eternals. I know a lot of what they've been doing has been motivated by movie schedules. So, you know, Shang-Chi's gotten two titles in the last couple of years, and... 
Um, no, I was like, that's that's got to be why he's in that Avengers Phoenix saga right now, too. So Yeah, absolutely. And Moon Knight's getting a TV show, and that's why Moon Knight just got a huge arc of Avengers. Something, and I know, talking about Jason Aaron for a minute, I know a lot of people are kind of hard on his Avengers title for being too many things, and I agree, it's too many things. But when you actually look at what his Avengers title is, every one of his arcs of Avengers kind of correlates to something going on in the MU world, like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? So I have to say that I'm going to assume most of his Avengers is a fusion of his own, this is what I want to do with my Avengers, and Marvel's, this is what we'd like to see get done in 2020. The guy's churning out three books a month. So, like, he's he's doing a lot of stories. And I, you know, can't help but notice the return of the Eternals is going on at the same time as Avengers is going to move toward this Heroes born thing where the avengers never existed so like we're getting kind of back into that parallel reality thing and i will be fascinated to know if the way they fix king in black is through this upcoming heroes reborn by jason aaron Hey guys, Nico here one last time, and I am so excited about this next segment. Number one, it has been incredible, and in this last year as a team, we've brought on something like 14 new contributors, and everyone in this next segment has been on the show for less than a year, but I couldn't imagine the show without them. Josh, Evelyn, Arturo, and Blake bring a special magic to discussing Wolverine. Their deep love for Ben Percy and for Kubert art in general shines through in this incredible segment where they talk about the most recent issue of the Knucklehead solo series and the ways in which this is certainly one of the most interesting issues of the series to date. Guys, we love that you guys listen and we have such a great time providing content for you. If you like what you hear, check us out over on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. You can find us on Twitter at Access for Podcast, where you can like, subscribe, retweet, and even enter to win that amazing Carrie Harris book that we'll be giving away when this episode drops. As per your guys' incessant demands, we have added a YouTube channel where you guys can check out even more bonus content. And guys, if you want to support the team, feel free to join us over on Patreon, where you can even help shape the future of the show. Guys, as always, it is a pleasure to be here with you every week, twice a week. Keep those mutant lights lit, keep those Cohen gateways open, and we're going to see you on the other side welcome to x is for podcast this week we're going to be talking about wolverine number nine legacy issue 351 written by benjamin the sexy lumberjack Hursty, art by adam kubert colors by frank martin and letters by vc's Corey pettit wolverine patches up for a trip to madripoor to bid on some black market superhero memorabilia including a brainwashed maverick being sold as a manchurian key onto krakoa with me today i have arturo hey. arturo introduce yourself and tell us where we can find you hey guys what's up it's arturo um mr toy box on twitter and instagram and today we are also joined by the one and only Comic Canary. Guys, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary. 
we also have the incredible Blake. Hey guys, my name's uh, Blake. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at btmorgan85. And I'm Josh Wheel. As always, you can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L on Twitter and at asleepatthewheel.com. And until November 8th, 2022, you can also find me at Wheel for U.S. Senate, W-E-I-L, the number for U.S. Senate on all social media and at wheelforussenate.org. Okay. Getting into Wolverine number nine. Now, we've talked about Percy's take on Wolverine a lot, and I know we have a lot of differing opinions. I am still not exactly sure what or how Percy is trying to characterize Logan here. Um, but just as we get started into this, my, my general feelings about his take on Logan now, the only word that really kind of comes to mind is exhausted. So, you know, this issue and everything else, the X-Force, the other Wolverine issues, yeah. what is your your take as we, we kind of start talking about this book on who Percy's Logan is, Artura. I'm, I'm still not 100% clear on it. Um, this issue for me hit all of all of the nostalgia vibes. You know, I know we've talked a lot about like the oversaturation of Wolverine and, and just his omnipresence everywhere and how that's kind of been a thing about this new era here this for me was kind of like okay this is a wolverine story right like uh, of all the conceits in in marveldom wolverine putting on a patch and it being his you know disguise and going to mad rapport and whatever it's like fun it's classic wolverine it's nothing groundbreaking but it's fun, you know, and and I I think that's what this issue was was a lot of fun. It was also like I said, the just the nostalgia of going back to Maverick, Sabretooth, and Wolverine doing Black Ops together, and then giving some color to that. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. That that hit home to me because it was like that that felt like it was for me. It was like oh, I remember I remember the issues when this story was first laid out, you know, first being introduced to Maverick. Um, so for me, I loved it. If I didn't have that content. I don't know how much I would care, uh, but I found it really fun. About you, Comic Canary. Um, I would tend to agree with that. It's not entirely sure where we're going right now in the Wolverine standalone comic when it comes to characterization for him. But something I did like was that beginning because for people that may not be as like nerdy as us and have that background, it was a good representation of what was going on and I thought the art was absolutely brilliant with it and I thought it was just it was just good it was just really well done it was sweet and short and to the point and I think that's nice because in the past I think we've criticized Wolverine for being a little bit long-winded when it came to rehashing old things before so that was good for me I, I definitely wanted to shout out to Adam Kubert on this issue. Um, the tremendous background details and background character art. There was so much to look at and it was really incredibly well done, even on the cover. Uh, the cover reminds me of a uh, George Perez uh something he said one time in a panel. And he was talking about how as a writer, like the word crowd is easy, like it's five letters. As an artist, the word crowd is your entire weekend. And Cooper uh, <laughs> did a lot of crowds in this one. Like there are so many detailed background characters from the cover of this book into the auction scenes. 
Um, the, the way that, you know, he dissected and gridded and um, interspersed the pieces of art, uh, it was really, really well done. Um, and this was, I would say, much more of a visual book than a narrative book um, this week. Uh, Kubert definitely stole the show. And you know, when we talk about X-Force, we talk about how that's really become Kassara's book as well. Is, yeah. this, is this a credit to Percy that his artists are really shining on his books? Or is it, you know, a, a critique of him that, you know, the, he is not the strongest point on any of his titles right now? What do you think, Blake? I, I really like Percy's writing. I always have. I love Wolverine. This comic, it hits, it hits the good spots for me. I've always loved that furry little Canadian. He's got a, he's got a really, you know, hard spot in my heart, I guess, since he's made out of adamantium, you can't really say soft spot. Uh, but just as a kid um, growing up, always loved him. I think this is really doing him justice. I've been on board the whole run with the vampires, with the Omega Red, now with the weird conspiracies. Uh, I definitely am super happy that Kubert's on the book. I don't think anyone's going to complain about the art. It is, as we've all said, insanely gorgeous. I think Percy deserves a good artist. I think when a writer is doing well, they deserve to have a top tier. They A, a team should be great people when the book is great. And I have enjoyed this. The last artist I didn't mind. He's, he's kind of a jerk online, um, which is an issue to a lot of people I know but um Kubert I hope he's on the book for a while I think Percy deserves him I think they work well together uh especially like hearing them talk about each other and the process and the storytelling process I, I don't think it's it's them saying Percy needs to like pick up his pick up the slack I just think they have faith in this book and want to make it the best they can and I, I'm honestly not sure like that wasn't a pointed question like hey let's dump on him I like Percy as well going back to his Green Arrow run it's an oddly similar thing that he had auto Schmidt and Juan Ferreira on that and they really shone like I, I love I purchased I have some Juan Ferreira art uh, in my house from that run and uh, is it that his writing really helps them shine in spotlight or is he just blessed with great artists you know the, the most appropriate and, and best artist for what he's doing I don't know this this is a very good comic though I think this this was for me one of the more enjoyable issues uh, it touched on a lot of a lot of classic it felt more in line with Logan than I think some of the other ones did and and the art really elevated it um Kubert is of the two artists that have been going back and forth on this title Kubert definitely is uh the one that I prefer oh definitely yeah and I, I hope that we've changed gears and we stay with Kubert because it's it, I think the art is is much stronger if Kubert's I... going to keep putting this type of detail though into the book there's no way he gets this out monthly there's no way he can be the only artist on that's this that's Hey man, that's fine. We could here. we could slow down. I could do with a little less frequency. You know, just you know, every six weeks is fine for Logan. Uh, so one one thing I wanted to talk about that I think is is cool about this is uh, we've talked in the pod, especially when we did the um, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe for X of Swords, and we've covered Logan. You know, that was like a good deep dive into my God. There is so much convoluted history and retcons and layers of stories that you know wolverine's just had more stories than any other mutant told about himself 
and it's a mess, right? And and I don't want to go back, like now that we're in this new Krakoan era, there's a lot of ground that I don't want to tread again. Like I don't want to ever see Romulus again, but Maverick and this Black Ops, you know, history with Sabretooth, that's something that I'm glad that is being fleshed out a little bit more because that's part of Wolverine's history that I found really interesting. I don't know if, you know, everything is still canon, right? With all of Moira's nine lives and like a lot of that's kind of like, well, you know, who knows, right? Like they could, they can kind of explain away a whole lot of things now, in my opinion, with the, with the Krakoan era. And I'm glad that this is something that they're choosing to, that Percy has gone back and said, yes, this is something that, that matters to Logan. There is definitely some convoluted history in this book too. I like the way Percy's approaching Maverick here. Uh, I think I mentioned last issue when we talked about number eight, that in my opinion, the best Maverick story that's been done is the one from the best take on him has been the one from Wolverine and the X-Men, the animated series. Yes. And it feels to me like Percy's leaning into that here um, with the way that he kind of designed the relationship and the the, the mental fog. And it, it definitely felt more reminiscent to that than uh, some of the 90s books. I, and in terms of convoluted history, so this will be my weekly Highlander tangent. Um, I've been watching a lot of Highlander lately and the comparisons between Wolverine stories and Highlander episodes where we just randomly jump back to a place in time and tell an unknown Wolverine or Duncan story, giving him a deep relationship with some rando character at some random time and place in his life that may or may not work in the rest of his convoluted chronology is just astounding to me that like, it's the same thing. Like I go into like a Duncan issue and it's like, wait, he was in here in 1917. I thought he was in the, wait, now he's with this group. Why was he doing this? Like, oh, and now this is his best friend and they have a deep relationship. And dude, that's every issue of Wolverine as well. <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't not see it as we're like going back and like, oh, all of a sudden he has this deep, meaningful relationship with Maverick. Which is new. That is new, I think, right? Because like they work together, but not all this. Like there was never this you know, bromance, but now I'm, I'm into it. I'm hoping. And I felt like Chrissy like, was backtracking a little at the end, like giving him the thing about, yeah, you know, Maverick is an asshole, like going back on the fact that Wolverine always kind of thought he was an asshole and they weren't depicted as best friends in earlier comics. Um, like he was trying to cover all his bases there, but yeah, like it's, it's deeper than we got before for sure. I mean, it's definitely a shared history of part of the, less savory aspects of Wolverine's past. Um, I really love this um, whole monologue that he kind of has or soliloquy, I guess, where he's just like, let's focus on the future instead of keep focusing on the past, which is something I feel like Wolverine does a lot where it's just like, oh, just get over it already is what I feel half the time. But seeing him really want to reconnect with someone from not exactly the best part of his history and at least still feel some camaraderie towards them and want to help them out some is really nice. It's convoluted history, so convoluted that Wolverine doesn't even know where, how, or when he lost a right hand that still has claws. We have to talk yeah. about that because I have so many thoughts and feelings about this. Go. Blake. No, I, I, I'll come. I'll come to it at the end because I could just go. But Blake, let's start with you. Wolverine lost a severed hand that apparently was adamantium, and I have no idea how it got severed or how he grew anything back with adamantium on it to not realize that he had like. 
what are your yeah i'm gonna like head explode here what are your thoughts on the revelation of a severed adamantium wolverine hand floating around that wolverine knew nothing about well it, it's definitely odd the only good thing about all of this is because for the history of wolverine his memories have always been jacked like he can't ever he doesn't remember a lot of the little pieces of his past. Uh, like we saw this in the last issue uh, when the, the, the war stories intro, uh, when he's like, he mentions how he has trouble remembering, uh, you know, the, some of the, the people that he's killed, the missions that he was on. But I've wondered about this adamantium issue ever since Krakoa blossomed only because of if he dies and they grow him another one, they have to have that Weapon X chamber somewhere on the island now. They they have to have like a reserve of adamantium to regrow his body because he can regrow anything. They uh, do um, though. That was yeah, actually do. covered in an X-Force. Forge has multiple vat. of of vats of liquid adamantium on standby for every time Wolverine dies. I, I miss everything. I don't know why you guys want me on your podcast. I <laughs> no, noticed that's nothing the thing. Like, ever. <laughs> so, okay, forget the fact that like you shouldn't be able to cut an adamantium hand off. Let's say that it got, you know, through like an Iliana portal or a Krakowing gateway closed or something on it and it got whatever. Okay, dimensionally displaced. <laughs> How how then does he like wouldn't that have to be from post Hoxpox then? Where like if Wolverine died and then he's reborn and they give him adamantium, otherwise he's gonna like Deadpool style regrow a hand and he's gonna have bone claws on one side and metal claws on the other. Like I So I had a couple thoughts. <laughs> I immediately thought cloning. Mm. That was where my mind went to first. And I mean, that might be me reading a lot of Hellions and Mr. Sinister right now, but we know that Wolverine has been cloned multiple times. So this just screams to me, either it's a fake or it's a clone kind of situation because this is convoluted even for Wolverine. Even Wolverine's like, this is kind of convoluted. I, so, I got I got something to throw at you to convolute even further. Hit me. Where have we seen Wolverine missing an arm? Age of Apocalypse. Oh. So there is some timeline woven through, you know, the reality. Do you think this is from an A this is from an AU like Age of Possibly? Who knows? All I know is at some point there is a reality. You are all Wolverine so much smarter than oh my god yeah but what's <laughs> fucked up is even then i think he still had the claws right no he had a nub he had a nub with a pirate hook thing on it yeah he had a nub but he could get claws come out of the nub right uh, i think it was out all the um, time it's trying to remember i read weapon at now are you thinking from like the four issue weapon x miniseries from og age of apocalypse or like the 2000 sums age of apocalypse like ongoing mini thing that i have i'm not even sure which one i'm thinking of i i didn't even i didn't even research it but when i saw when i saw that that was definitely a, a thought was you know but it still doesn't make sense yeah it doesn't make sense and i think it if in the age of krakoa then you can kind of get to the point of like okay well wolverine could die and then if they didn't recover his body they could resurrect wolverine and yeah spare parts I, could exist somewhere sure the, the more we talk about this i feel like we're gonna need like in six months from now an issue where they're time traveling and wolverine loses a hand back in the past like i feel like they're gonna need to like future retro fix this like yeah. because it's just too it's too wild right now it's so, it's not absurd to mm -hmm. to think that i mean we've we've tried 
time travel a lot with the X-Men. So yeah. I mean, we, it, they, they get, they get weird on it. Yeah. It's almost, it's, it feels like we're almost due for some time travel. Actually. Yeah. That would be fun. Though I do want to say the page right next to the um, reveal of the claw, in my opinion, supports the cloning a little bit. Ooh, where talk when, on it. Where he, um, when he like just kind of smashes the glass and has some blood, and then Kingpin of all people, like handsome. I have a special place in my heart for Kingpin. So seeing him, I love that Kingpin was just in the bed. Like Kingpin was there. Yeah, I just love that. Um, but when he just, in my opinion, which is stupid, that he discards some of his blood and then some rando picked it up, like not so, rando. Well. Not Rando. Did you see who it is? I I was trying to figure it out because I saw that there was something on the hand, but I just that's the dude with the 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 peacock the peacock man or whatever. Is it peacock peacock man? I think so. Yeah, look at that sleeve. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's that creepy guy that we haven't seen. Oh, that would make sense. But yeah, just getting blood of an X Men like of a mutant. Like to me, that's ugh, that's so stupid on Wolverine's part. He should know better with yeah. how many times he's been freaking cloned. Like, oh my gosh! But <laughs> it just as like the second that happened, I'm just like, was this all a setup just to get his blood? Like that was one of the things that was kind of in the back of my mind. Was like, was this a setup to get him and his blood? That would be interesting in the future. That if because right now it, we we're having trouble with villains in the in the dawn of x and approaching the reign of x you know we had like the we had horticulture which ended up not really being villains um and then we we've got the peacock guy but we we just get glimpses we don't they haven't really made any moves yet uh when and we've had the invasion in x-force but we don't really have a face for like a mastermind villain yet so it would be interesting if if later like the x-men had to fight clones of themselves oh that's inevitable yeah like the clone chimera wars are are I think, uh, and I'm in no rush to get there, but yeah, I'm hoping that we get to like some, like I'll get on a soapbox now and start talking about resurrecting Joseph, Madeline Pryor, like all the clones rise up. Strife, give me a kid, Strife. I was just about to say Oh, we have so many. When we did Cable, the most recent issue of Cable, me, Nico, and Jonah, we have so many thoughts about kid Strife versus grown-up Strife or both of them or, or just lots and lots of Strifes. Oh. I haven't I haven't read that yet. I just went to the comic shop this week. I had a stack of stuff and cable is the next thing I'm reading. But, um, but so thanks yeah. for spoiling that. No, just kidding. There, there, there are <laughs> lots of well, there are lots of kind of minor villains to Blake's point, but you know, we really haven't had the major threat. You know, the X of Swords came, but that was really more of tying up an apocalypse backstory than it was moving forward on, you know, the promise of Hoxpox. You know, I think the big promise of Hoxpox was that it was artificial intelligence was going to be the major big bad moving forward. And it seemed like that would be a looming presence, but we've drifted much more into humans, whether it is the the cult of axe or um the the peacock man or um horticulture we we've had a lot more human peripheral adversaries or government and adversaries than we have the artificial intelligence threat which i think is good because i think if that's your your end game then it's good to like go run some different scenarios in the meantime you know um 
One thing I'm glad that we're not seeing is villains who just can't let go of their villainous ways, you know, and are still just being bad guys. Like, I really like that in this new promise of Krakoa, like everyone is actually, you know, uh, doing what, what it says on the tin, right? Like, we're all in this together. We're a, a mutant nation state. So I think it's cool that the, that these threats are coming from from without rather than there's a within. There's a really great social commentary on that as well. And I'm going to go politician for a second. But crime being linked to poverty is not a universal phenomenon, right? Crime being linked to poverty is an American phenomenon. It exists in other countries. But there are lots of places where, you know, universal housing or, you know, where everyone is provided with jobs by the government and you have extensive poverty. But you have no crime. A lot of countries in the Middle East have this figured out. And when you think of Krakoa and what it provides, you know, in terms of that it's been related to as like a socialist paradise for them, that, you know, they their basic needs are all covered, right? They all have jobs or duties if they want. They all have, you know, they, they never want for food or shelter or anything like that. That these the desperation has been taken away from these villas. And they can be themselves without being you know, evil mutants, you know, quote unquote anymore, because they don't have to worry about being hunted by humans or being, you know, having criminal records and not being able to get jobs or exactly. you know, any of the other bullshit that follows them around in America, you know, because now they're on Krakoa. Exactly. In our in our recent interview with uh, David Baldion, he mentions that, um, you know, we asked, you know, point blank, how come Dokken got so hot, right? Because he just draws the hottest Dokken. And he said, well, you know, because it's a different era now than he's he's at peace he's got bigger he's more buff he's more himself because he's not in a place of desperation um where he where he had been before and, and that to me to just hot. like blew my mind because yeah absolutely he deserves to be hot but like it really sells me on that that character is fundamentally different going forward right like i don't want to ever see docking again as just like a villain like he has actually changed into a new character and i think that's that that you you see that across the the line that's why it breaks my heart that Sabretooth is in the hole let's talk about that right like that's fucked up you know one thing josh that you were saying uh about artificial intelligence I do want to point out, though, that it is still viewed as a prime threat because we just saw in, spoiler alert, recent issue of Hellions where artificial intelligence played a role and the Hellions' orders were to destroy it on site. So I think that that is still something that is uh, in, in in this Krakoan security force, you know, Quiet Council, X-Force uh, amalgamation, that is still a threat and, and they do still have, uh, you know, a, a way of dealing with it. I'd like to circle back to creed because i like Sabretooth, and i've been aggravated that he's been literally kind of tossed in the trash can this whole there's been a lot of x-men issues and he has just been ousted this whole time and in the last two issues of wolverine now uh we have with these flashbacks mainly because of the the logan maverick and creed you know them being on this on this uh ops team i'm kind of wondering i mean i'm i'm seeing i'm guessing you know we've we've freed maverick now he's going to come back to krakoa uh that's the that's the next logical place is for maverick and wolverine 
screen to escape this auction house, uh, murder a lot of people, most likely, and go back to Krakoa and try and fix his his mind and Maverick's mind. And he's going to find out that his old teammate is not on this island and questions are going to be asked and the answers are probably not going to be what people want to hear. And so I, I feel like we're finally approaching uh, the dialogue that is going to happen where we're going to have to get Creed out of this hole or talk about why we're not going to get Creed out of this hole, but it's, it's finally going to be addressed. And that I has hope. been, that has, I don't think me. so. Really? I hope yeah, it's in my opinion, I don't think we're going to address that until more people start getting thrown in the hole. Like, I think Creed has been labeled as irredeemable, but if the second or third person to go in the hole is more questionable, I think that's going to be what ultimately starts um, spinning that around. But I mean, well, this is all speculation. So and, yeah, and I don't think Maverick's going to give two shits if he finds out Sabretooth's in the hole either. I think Maverick will be like, oh yeah, my mind's been wiped, but I remember that guy was a dick. He and, probably and a lot of a lot of what they're building here, I think, is really going to be dependent on what they do with Maverick moving forward. Yeah, I yeah. Definitely... I, I would love to see him on Krakoa, though. I would love yeah. to see him like with X Force or like give that dude a job. I definitely think that would be a really compelling issue or two with them dealing with Sabretooth and the hole and everything. But I tend to agree that it's probably going to be addressed later on down the line when more people are thrown in the hole. Whereas right now with the uh, not so subtle picking up of the blood and the obvious fight that they have to do and the people's reaction to Wolverine just suddenly popping up at the auction where some don't seem that surprised. That kind of feels like that's the more immediate threat and where they're going to go with it. But a future storyline with that could be really compelling. Like imagine being Kingpin and going to this auction and then seeing Logan there walking in his little like white suit with his patch. Wouldn't you just be like, that's so cute. Does he think oh. like we don't know it's him? Like I I it really would be hilarious, like, you guys. Can you imagine if I showed up on this pod with an eye patch and I was like, oh no, I am, I am Zat. I hey everybody, Nico here, and I have a question for Arturo. How are they going to see the eye patch on the podcast? Mm? I really like, I think probably, and I haven't read the whole Charles Soul run of Daredevil, but I think one of the shining points of that for me was what he did with Kingpin coming out of Secret Empire um, and, you know, Kingpin kind of doing good and being a, a servant of the people specifically because he knew that, like, it would give him power and ultimately make him credible and, you know, Daredevil couldn't fight him if he was actually helping people. Kind of like the evil manipulation of like it very political. And then, you know, seeing him in this issue with, you know, like recognizing Logan and the smirks and the facial expressions, like always kind of looking over or side eyeing him. Like I really liked the way that Kubert picked up on that and, you know, the modern, you know, Mayor Fisk take that we've gotten. And then we continue to see uh, in Zdarsky's run. Um, very good. And uh, since I'm talking about that smirk, the page where Wolverine gets outed at the auction, there's an amazing piece of art by Cooper. The, <laughs> I'm going to call it the snicked panel where, you know, you know, the auctioneer shouting yep. out and Cooper draws as the claws are coming out, the skin on his knuckles just kind know, of like yeah. tearing. Off. Oh my God, it's so good. Love it. Because I mean, that's I'm, as, as much as the <clears throat> live action Wolverine's and X-Men movies aren't the best. Uh, one of my favorite lines from it is from the very first movie when Rogue's like, doesn't it hurt? And he's like, every time. And I always 
really loved that line from the movies I like it's at the very beginning of the movie and it's like okay they get these characters is kind of what that meant to me when I first saw the first movie and even though it's they proved me wrong they (laughs) uh, I still loved that line and so seeing this that was one of the things that just reminded me of was just like Hugh Jackman's line with that and it's like I dig it I I just I love everything about it yeah, I, I just watched Days of Future Past last night again. And man, that movie holds up. They, they, they made some weird decisions and whatever, but like it is a good, solid movie. And I thought about the same thing about Wolverine's claws and how it hurts. Yeah, that was that was beautiful. Cooper did a great job. And I want to give him a shout out because uh, when Wolverine is getting patted down, I love when artists remember that Wolverine is short and they make it very clear that he is short. And when they're patting him down, he looks so tiny. Yeah. So good. It made me so happy. Wolverine is short and Maverick is tall. That is, I think that is important too. Maverick's not just like, fit he's he's a big guy uh i have his action figure i should have brought it on here for no kubert sizes him right because when wolverine's walking in or looking at other people he should always be like the top of his head at like the middle of their face or their chin like he should never mm-hmm. be at eye level or taller which too many artists forget and do um yeah because yes. it's, it's fun having him short because it's like that whole like stereotype where it's just like the short ball of rage and <laughs> as a very short person myself i feel it on a spiritual level and i just i love everything about it yeah short and hairy wolverine should always be short and hairy <laughs> uh going back to to kubert it, it was actually it was pretty serendipitous that this happened but um i think nico was was tweeting about the issue and both ben and andy like came onto the thread and and kind of like dropped some knowledge on us and uh ben ben percy said that the this arc is about converting about past and present and memories and we kind of were joking about the the panels and like the the 16 panel grids or like the double splashes of like uh the double uh 32 panels at one point and we were we were talking about that and i really think it's cool it's like this visual metaphor of his fractured memory and psyche uh because it it, like i was thinking about it as like a a broken mirror uh, yes but cleaner of course because we have like these equally sized you know numerous panels but it's so cool that he's experimenting with that um and it all happens when they're talking about logan's past And, and there's these tiny little fractions of images some of them build like bigger images but even then those are broken up um so like there's no perfect image there's no perfect panel it's just little fragments of a scene and it's so genius and I l- so cool i love that you brought that up yeah that that is one of the coolest things about this this whole issue are, are those layouts and you're right that anytime the page is laid out like that it is it's logan's memories it's not and, and it's this not is in the present. a full team effort here because we're talking about the paneling and the layout and the intention of percy to, to kind of make that convergence and joining it together with the way Kubert executed it and, you know, drawing the full ones and taking pieces out as puzzle pieces and replacing them with the modern. And then the way that uh, Frank Martin colored it and, you know, changing the coloration on different parts, you know, yeah. so you can clearly see and know like what's the hate, you know, making some of them hazier as memories and, 
it's it's the full team effort and it it elicits it's more than the sum of the pieces because you know it elicits emotional ties and it, it helps you to kind of get a sense of the purpose of the story and what Wolverine's going through it's exceptionally well crafted and done here um, and I would think a letterist worse nightmare because on top of these <laughs> all this all these little panels you know and, and every now and then as we see or as as we see on some of these pages that there's still a thought bubble or a word bubble with text and it's like you don't oh, yeah. have a lot of real estate here and, no and because you gotta do that perfectly yeah and if you're Corey Pettit like you said you broke it down into 32 of them but they're taking place in three different times and so the dialogue can only really exist in like five of the 32 boxes and so you know even though you have two whole pages here Corey Pettit's got to be really careful about you know getting these words into you know a tiny box that already has you know some kind of intricately detailed piece of art from Kubert that he doesn't want to completely go over um yeah and I, I should have mentioned him when I said it was a whole team effort at the beginning too because it is it's all of them all of them kind of running on you know all cylinders at the peak of their game it's it's strong work I mean it's strong work mm-hmm. like I, I think this might be one of my favorite uh Wolverine good issues. good comic it's good of this, comic of this run yeah it's really solid and I love and, that they and, brought patch back like just and not only do they bring patch back so I was kind of reading about like the the burn run because I have a lot of uh real big blind spots in the history of x-men dawn of x hox pox all of this um I am on board I'm buying all these issues I'm pre-ordering all the new series I, I'm you know selling myself in weird ways online to try and afford it and it, it's <laughs> I'm, do- I'm doing what I I'm doing what I got to do to get to get this in my eyeballs but yeah uh, it's just I was reading about Patch and, and how this was Burns' deal and like the X-Men were believed dead and like Wolverine's alive. So let's put him in a black suit and slick his hair back and give him an eye patch. And it's like the Clark Kent scenario. Like you put glasses on and he's not Superman anymore. Like, okay, cool. I'll buy it. But, and it's so like, it, that's what they did in, in, in the past. But now in this issue in which I loved it, it was what, three pages? It, 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 well, Penguin or not Penguin, uh, uh, <laughs> Oh, Marvel Fisk. Penguin, Fisk. Kingpin, Marvel <laughs> Penguin. Fisk, Fisk figured it out right away. Um, the 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 lady with the special glasses figured it out too. But I mean, two pages. They they had this. They had this broke. They were like, the jig's up, bub. Like we I, know I, who you are. I I kind of <laughs> love that she had a uh, special goggles to tag him as Logan. It's like, yeah, you definitely need those. The thing I like about Patch is that my kind of Clark Kent assumption on it is it's not the eye patch that makes him unrecognizable. It's a t- Tuxedo jacket. It's a tuxedo. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's in, like, in a lot of ways. And it's he like takes a bath and no one recognizes like, that he's Wolverine anymore. Right. It's like 007 Logan in a way. You know, like that's really his whole thing. And he's always like in casinos or these like tawdry, you know, places of ill repute. Yeah. Then again, and, remember. And to Arturo's point earlier, like he is, he is uh, no higher than you know nipple height uh, standing next to Maverick on that final page. Like great job of height differentiation yeah you know i was just gonna say real fast remember hugh jackman wore a full wolverine cosplay to san diego comic-con and he was only stopped three times and all three times they're like that's an amazing costume if only you were a little taller you would look exactly like it 
no one recognized him in full Wolverine cosplay. So it's not that far out of reality, in right. my opinion, like, when I yeah. hear stories of celebrities doing that. Yeah, it's like if you're not looking for him, you don't see him. Yeah. 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 All I'm right. Glad, I'm glad they brought Patch back. So this story does kind of end. And now we started this in issue eight, 350. So issue nine, this is at least a three, four parter in terms of the art, because we end with them on stage. I think, as you guys said earlier, ready to murder a lot of people to get out of there. Where do you see this story going? What are you looking forward to in the next few issues of Wolverine as this moves forward and plays out? And we'll start with Evelyn. I mean, auto, like I've just been saying about like this the blood on the napkin and the person who picked it up I am so curious about that though I feel like that's going to be a four or five issues away from now and they're like remember when this happened lol but I really look forward to seeing what in the world they're going to do with that uh, but I also look forward to just a straight up brawl that's not going to end well for anyone. And Kingpin. I just want to see what Kingpin does. More smirking. What about you, Blake? What are you looking forward to as this plays out? I definitely am looking forward to uh, Kingpin and w- when this fight breaks out. I- I'm kind of envisioning him like just kind of like slowly like walking back into the background <laughs> and and maybe maybe having like a drink and just watching the chaos. Um, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the hand, this the hand of Wolverine was a big deal. It was on the cover. We saw, we saw it in several panels, you know, this whole task force of, of going after mutant knickknacks is really intriguing to me. I, I feel like there's more than money involved here. The clone thing could definitely be part of it just because you can get so many things, skin fragments, hair follicles, the, the things you can find on, on these random items that they're stealing. I think that could be a huge deal, but I, we keep seeing this hand and also just the, I just like seeing Wolverine fight. I've always loved it. it uh, that's why I love I, the opinions on black, white, and blood have been kind of hit and miss, but I love the violence. Like I'm that dude who's just like, yes, like, oh, just give it to me. Like, you know, put the comic in a blender with some water, blend it up, turn it into liquid and put it in a syringe and just shoot it into me. Like I want it. I want more of it all the time. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the big fight. I'm really looking forward to, I hope, I hope Adam's on this book for a while. I think him and Percy are telling a great story together. These panel layouts are so cool and it's just visually different uh you don't you know you don't see stuff like that a lot i think people are sometimes i don't i don't, I don't want to say like they're scared to be experimental or with like the the multi-panel layouts because it's not that they're scared but it's just you know i think people worry about numbers and what's going to sell and what's going to look good and what's going to confuse people too much and especially with the big two and i just encourage experimentation like try get weird go out of your comfort zone and this book's doing that right now and i want i want more of this i want more adam art i want i want that grizzly percy logan tone um i'm i'm you know i i just i'm just excited and i want i want some i want some snickety snacks and i want some blood and and yeah i'm just looking forward to number 10 all right i am uh i'm on board with blake on every single thing he just said uh i for me what i want more of out of this at this point is the bromance with logan and maverick uh, I would love to see Maverick stick around for a while. I want to see the inevitable confrontation when Maverick, Logan, Omega Red, and Sabretooth are like in the same space. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to new explorations with this old character who like is kind of a blank slate. Like we've, we don't really have much of a sense of Maverick and, uh, and I, I think he's got some cool potential. So, yeah, I, I think Maverick has potential, but that's the big word, what they do with him. I would love to see him replace Logan on X-Force, but I think the way Percy writes the two books that, you know, he's made it Wolverine dependent over there. Um, but I, I would like to see the character be able to develop or interact with other ones. I think that's been one of the, the biggest things for all of us on Krakoa is getting that huge cast of characters back and getting to see them pop up and interact with each other in different ways. And, you know, now we're adding Maverick to the mix. Yeah. I, I I definitely want some sort of resolution on that hand. Like, I want something. I really want to see what happens with that. I, I think because Percy does not make this a super cerebral book. Like, he is not Hickman. Um, This is, this is not that. He he can get into it somewhat in his kind of bottings of the um like the antagonists and their you know deep secret organizations but it, it it's not that type of book um, but I would like to see some kind of well thought crafted explanations involving like that hand or how that's going to fit continuity wise like we were talking earlier so I mean that that's that's some of what I'm looking forward to um the art and this yeah, I, I, I'm I'm on board for this book, and I, I think that there's a lot of potential. And you know, maybe since we are talking about Percy here, and we're missing some AI, maybe maybe since we're going into Team X, we get some uh, Sentinels that are modern human looking, and you know, pretending to be FBI agents trying to hunt down former Team X people uh, like Agents Pierce and stuff. I'm just saying, maybe maybe throw that, that in there. If you haven't listened to the uh, the Wolverine podcast, The Long Night, uh, that Ben Percy wrote, um, yeah. I will lose my mind if we see those, <laughs> if we see those characters show up. No, because, uh, and I, have you listened to that podcast, Blake? No, I, everyone, oh tells, my everyone God. tells me to. I'm so glad that They're we good. established that you didn't, because I'm not going to give away anything, but... There are so many pleasant surprises in that. And just when you think like everything's been revealed, then there's another pleasant surprise. Uh, it's great. You you got to check it out. And I would flip out if any of that story comes into, into this universe. 616 would be awesome. Percy uh, does a great job of establishing the non-Logan characters in that and kind yeah. of building the idea of Logan up through their, what they're seeing and interacting with. Um, and yeah, I would love to see some of those. Pop yeah. And in the second season, you get two other well-known Marvel characters make their way into the pod and it's incredible. It's just incredibly well done. Um, I just want to point out one thing, the, the little, you know, monologue at the end of Wolverine waxing poetic about Maverick. Uh, best kind of bastard. The best kind of a bastard. The best kind of bastard is worth having around, but only if there's enough beers to be drank or bullets to be dodged. Uh, and I like that Wolverine points out that Maverick is a pretty boy. He says, but like every pretty boy, he only cares about one person, and that's numero uno. Can't trust him with your wife, but you can trust him with your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think like Cyclops is going to have some competition when they when they get back to Krakoa. Is that Give it to me. Give me a big <laughs> convoluted love quadrangle. Yes. Oh, no, that's so that would be perfect. Like him kind of getting the ropes of Krakoa and being like, wait, I can sleep with people's wives and they won't even get mad at me. Maverick's gonna, have, Maverick's gonna love it 
This is how the Marvel Max imprint is going to come back because it's just going to be <laughs> X Men fucking number one Marvel Max this summer. I mean, that is the ultimate promise of Hawks Pox. Let's be honest. <laughs> and it and it's all happening, guys. It happens in between the panels. It happens in your imagination. It happens in the subtext. <laughs> happens in between a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make it uh, any less valid. <laughs>